We have made it to the fourth episode. We're reading chapter four today, and this goes from page 37 to 48. It is called Learning to Live Again. Enjoy. G'day, folks. Welcome to the Crashing in Potential podcast. In this podcast, we're going to be talking about resilience. That is getting back up after you have been knocked down. My name is Scott B. Harris, and I'm the author of the book, Crashing Into Potential, Living With My Injured Brain. It's a memoir that I have written and published that outlines my story of resilience after a major motorbike accident that nearly took my life. This podcast is designed to take what's inside of me and bring it out so that you can feel motivated to crash into your own potential. Brace yourself, because the podcast is about to start. Welcome to episode number four of the Crushing Into Potential podcast. Now, I was having a, a think about how I could uh, show you and how how much how easier um, how I could show you in in a, in, a, in a better way how I could show my progression in my reading skills and and without me having to t- just to tell you it's getting better. I wanted to to think of a way that I could show you how it's getting better uh, in real time. And it was one of those one of those thoughts that came to me when I was counting sheep at 1am in the morning. And I thought, bingo, that's what I'm going to do. So what, what I'm going to do is at the very end of the, of the, um, the session, the, 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 the chapter, I'm going to read the, maybe the first paragraph of the next chapter. And I'm not going to edit it. And I'm going to show you how how much I fumble my words and how much I, I sort of uh, I struggle to read on a consistent basis. And that way you'll be able to see, I'll do that every, every, every podcast and then you'll be able to see me getting better and better and better and better. Well, hopefully getting better and better and better. We'll just have to wait and see. First off, I just want to show my gratitude for you taking the time out of your day to listen to what I have to say. You see, time is the most precious resource that we can never get back. We can't get time back. It's gone. It's over. Done. Kaput. So I appreciate you taking, uh, spending the most valuable resource on listening to what I have to say. So thank you for that. Let's get started. This is page number 37. We are up to chapter 4. This chapter 4 is called Learning to Live Again. And the quote that goes with this chapter, A year from now you may wish you had started today by Karen Lamb. Now, I'm going to quickly go out of the book here and talk about this quote. I often say this to myself and I often think, often think about, about what I was, you know, the things that I had planned to do, um, that I had planned to do last year at this time. And I wonder what they would look like now if I actually followed through with those plans. And then I, I, then I go deeper and I think about way back the start of my rehab session, because there have been, you know, I have put a lot of effort into my rehab, but there have been some things here and there that, that I that I might might not have put 110% effort into, and I think back to I think back to the start of my rehab and think, if I had have put in the effort and started started back then and made it a routine now, what would it now look like 11 years later if I had to follow through with some of those things? Very interesting. So it's a that's 
that's a good quote that uh, that you can take away from this and use in your own life. A year from now, you may wish you had started today. After an accident of this magnitude, your life breaks down. And in my case, I had to learn the fundamentals of living again. I was like a child who could not go to the bathroom on his own, eat solid foods or drink anything but thickened fluids. Along with these embarrassing facts, my injured brain was now back to square one. I needed a complete articulation overhaul because not every word I said was coming out the way it sounded in my head. It was as if the message it was as if the messages that my brain sent to my mouth were getting scrambled on the way down. Remember how I said I laughed at the most inappropriate times, at the most inappropriate things? Well, this is one of the many, many, many side effects of a head injury. Others are immaturity, impulsiveness, rudeness, frustration, anger, balance and coordination issues, double vision, which is diplopia in brackets, memory loss and mood swings, to to name a few. I was right in the midst of a complete overhaul of my entire life. If you're wondering what it's like to live with a head injury, try this exercise. Have a conversation with someone without using any words that contain the letter E. Although this can be done, it requires more time and effort than regular conversation because you have to think about every word you want to use. Process all of the words that you could use and choose the one that fits best and doesn't contain the letter E. We're on page 38. This is exactly what life can be like for someone with an injured brain. This is called cognitive dysfunction. And to put it nicely, geez, it's a bitch. It's only one of our challenges. But have the same conversation again in the same way without without using the letter E and it becomes easier. Have it again and again and you'll you'll notice how it becomes easier and easier. This is called repetition. And using this technique is how I live a full life. Along with my damaged mental state, my my body didn't function like it once did. Which meant I had to learn to move again. Walking was my main priority. But because my body didn't see this as a necessity to live, it was put on the back burner until all of my vital organs were taken care of. For the first few months, I was was wheelchair bound and my right arm was incapacitated. My arm could not do anything except give me shooting pain every three or four seconds. So with one useless arm, I was unable to use the wheelchair on my own. This kind of sucked because ever since I saw a young daredevil at school with two broken legs launch off an 800ml drop in the playground in his wheelchair. I've always imagined breaking my legs and going one better. Well, I broke a neck instead, so beat that daredevil kid. Over the coming years at Epworth Rehabilitation, through endless hours of therapy, I learned to use my body in an active way again. This taught me how to hop, skip, jump, run and even swim. Each one was a huge individual challenge for me. The first time I went swimming was 16 months after my accident in March 2010 at the pool at Epworth. I thought I thought it would be simple, but it was not. The first time I tried to tread water, I just sank. I thought, come on, Scott, you got this. You've been swimming since forever. Just kick your legs. But it really did feel like I was a toddler trying to swim for the first time. The difference was that I knew how to, but I simply couldn't do it. It was a weird mental sensation, watching myself fail at something I had done for years, but not know where I was going wrong. I felt really dumb and incapable. 
If all the more serious difficulties in my life hadn't conditioned me for such failure, it would have taken a much larger toll on my, men- my, on my mentality than it did. For the whole session in the pool, all I could do was sink. I didn't understand what I was doing wrong. I clearly needed to learn how to use my legs properly in the water again. This was just one of the challenges I faced mentally from the accident on an hourly basis. But I knew that I had to climb over these walls, even if that just meant coming to another another bigger wall. With each wall I reached, I could hope that it would be the final one. More than nine years later, I am still climbing over these walls, but no matter what, at every one I am filled with the hope that the next one will be my last. This will never change. I can now proudly say that I can swim again due to the many hours in the pool floating back and forth with therapists moving my legs in a, in a manner that represented swimming. I can swim now and stop myself from drowning. For the next six months following my accident, as an inpatient at Epworth, I was in a, I was in a ward dedicated to acquired brain injury patients, the ABI unit. If you had to spend such a long time as an inpatient at the rehab, this was the place to be. It was a first class unit, the creme de la creme of hospital wards. Only seven beds taken care of by two nurses, in brackets, with one nurse from 10pm till 6am, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. This was service on demand and I was going to take full advantage of this privilege with just one click of the red button beside my bed. This was kind of like butler service, but this butler service even went as far as to helping you feed yourself if you asked politely and at no extra cost. This ward was separate from the rest of the rehab with a locked door to the outside world. At the time I felt like a king and no one could come to my domain unless they had the magic password in brackets or the magic number to put in the keypad. Isn't it funny how we perceive a situation when it's happening, and then when we look back, it can be the complete opposite. I wasn't actually a king, I was a patient, and one of the most serious cases. The lock on the door wasn't to stop people from coming in, but so I could not get out. Being the ABI, being the ABI unit, we had some pretty damaged characters among us. Some people had experienced such severe head injuries that they couldn't understand why they were in hospital or even what a hospital was. We're on page 40. The old gentleman who arrived at around the same time as me escaped on a number of occasions. He was like the Harry Houdini when it came to the lock to the locked door. How did he do it? Always wondered. He was admitted one week after me and discharged to a nursing home one week before I left. We were allowed to go up and down the corridors of the ward though which was a good chance to chat to the other patients and discuss why the eggs tasted sour that morning or about other people's plans for when they got out of jail, as my dad used to joke. One man would often come into my room unannounced, looking for the exit. I would often hear, Oh, this is not the way out, in an old, confused voice. This would prompt the response, No mate, I think the exit is through Jim's room across the hall. It didn't matter how many times this happened, it, was, it would always make me laugh. Cruel? Probably. But as I said, I was often laughing when I shouldn't in those days. I was an inpatient at Epworth for six months and then an outpatient for a further two and a half years. Throughout that period, I gained all the required skills to be physically active as possible. The initial six-month stint was full on with a minimum of five hours of therapy a day. 
This was five days out of seven, which meant I was doing 25 hours of therapy a week. That's 25 hours of physical activity each week with a body that didn't even have the strength to walk and a mind that couldn't hold a conversation for more than five minutes. The therapy days consisted of two hours of physiotherapy, one hour of occupational therapy, one hour of speech pathology, one hour of exercise physiology, and several sessions in the workshop. Epworth literally taught me how to live again. From walking to thinking to sharing to cooking to all the other skills I needed to live an independent life again. To this day, I still don't know what I've done to deserve the care that has gone into my life. This was my new full-time job that didn't pay me overtime and didn't give me superannuation and it didn't even give me any RDOs. Unlike the jobs I had done before though, this one had direction and purpose. So I took it very, very seriously. I was motivated to go back to my room pooped at knockoff every day, knowing that I had given everything I had so that eventually I could return to my old life. Other than eating, therapy and trying to escape with the old gentleman, there wasn't really much more to do besides watch it, watch TV and chat online to the outside world. For Christmas 2008, my parents, sorry, Santa, oops, got me a laptop. It became my connection and gave me a link to, to friends, family and the world that kept me going. While that might sound ridiculous, when you're in such a state, you start to appreciate everything you have in your life. Along with the benefits, this connection also also came with its own baggage. Have you ever been online and read everything in your Facebook newsfeed? Well, when it gets to that point, when it gets to the point that you are constantly clicking refresh to find new posts, it starts getting depressing. You let it go for 10 minutes and then come back and read maybe five more posts. Other than social media, I watch TV series after TV series. Friends, How I Met Your Mother, Two and a Half Men, The Simpsons, Family Guy and South Park, to name a few. Got an absolute flogging. There were two nurses in the ABI unit, Brad and Chloe, who were the same age as I was and I got along really well with them. Now these Brad and Chloe aren't their real names but for privacy reasons I've kept them out of this book. Brad and I were into the same lifestyle, lifestyle. so we would we would have endless conversations about tattoos, girls, motorbikes, and life on the outside. Chloe was much the same, but had a female perspective. We didn't talk about motorbikes together, but we did discuss everything else. She acted like an older sister to me. As an impatient, my day would start at 7.50am. Knock, knock, knock. Breakfast. One of the best things about staying in hospital for such a long time was that I was served breakfast in bed for six months. Not only that, but I got to choose exactly what food I wanted to indulge in every day. This was just part of the butler service that I was rewarded with in the ABI unit. I say rewarded because I knew it had to be a game for me. I had to win every day. So I tried to look at the best in every situation. When I couldn't see the good in everything that was happening, I started to fall down often and it was hard to get back up again. We're on page 42. 42. I later discovered just how hard it actually was to get back up after I was on the ground. There are many things I did during this time because they were my natural reaction to situations. It wasn't until I sat down to write this book that I've been able to actually articulate what I did and what I experienced. Along with breakfast would be my medication and a shot of heparin in in the belly each morning. The injection was to keep my blood thin 
preventing it from blood clots. My medica- medication consisted of, a, consisted of about 30 pills of all kinds for pain of a blood circulation. I didn't need happy pills at the time because as obvious as, as it was to everyone else, in, else involved, my injuries didn't seem to have taken too much of a toll on me. It would be over the following year when I fully realised what, what had happened that I would be searching frantically for those pills to wake me up from this dream called life. The consensus among some people is that hospital food is like aeroplane food and doesn't rate from the point of view of taste or nutrition. This is not true at all. Although the food at hospital is, was cooked in bulk, it was perfectly crafted to make sure it was full of the right nutrients to help the patients heal and recover. I didn't mind the food one bit and I was allowed to eat as much as I want. Usually, our brains tell us when we are hungry and when we are full. But a brain injury can sometimes make this regulator get all confused. In my case, I was putting on on weight and putting weight on fast. I had originally lost 20 kilograms after my accident, but I had quickly put 30 kilograms on in rehab. Every day I would look at myself in the mirror through rose-colored glasses and see the 70 kilogram pre-accident figure staring, staring straight back at me. That was until an old friend mentioned to me that I had packed on a bit of weight since our last rendezvous. I'm grateful that the, that the self-conscious vein part of my brain was still intact because that got me thinking about my image. If I, had have had, if I hadn't have had that rude awakening in the early days, who knows what weight, weight I would be punching now. So, back to my day. Once I had finished breakfast, it was time to start my therapy. My first session with my speech pathologist was dedicated to really diagnosing what state of cognitive functioning my brain, brain was in. We're on page 43. Here is the summary of the report from rehab on my status at the time. Reduced audio comprehension. Short term memory problems. Reduced information processing speed, word fluency and verbal abstract reasoning, attention errors, cognitive fatigue, impulsivity, reduced ability to plan and organize output, insufficient scanning of written material, reading accuracy varies at times, likely to be affected by diplopia, in brackets double vision, benefits from prompting with some divergent thinking. So going out of the book here. There's the reason that my reading is um, is like it is right now, um, because the processing, I guess, the processing of the words that I'm reading inside my brain are getting all scrambled up. So I guess I've got a good excuse to not have the best reading skills. Okay, back to the book. This was when my articulation overhaul began. I can't remember what my verbal speech was like back then, but from what I'm told, it is it was slow and uncontrolled. I'm going back out of the book here. Uh, I'll, I will leave uh, a video in uh, in the show notes today of my talking uh, my talking when I was in PTA when I was in um, the first for the first month when I was in rehab. Um, uh, uh, there's interviews that were done with me by my dad and those interviews you can really tell how slow my articulation and how slow my my brain was was working back then right back to the book it was like an old record that had been spinning on half speed and worn out so that what was coming out 
of the speakers didn't really sound clear. As I am much better these days, I can really notice when I'm getting tired, and so does my brain. My articulation falls into in, into old, uncontrolled habits. So, back out of the book, um, this happens when I'm when I'm reading, and you're not going to notice this now because I'm going to cut it up and I'm going to make it sound quite good. Uh, but this happens when I'm reading, and I've mentioned this in in some of the previous uh, in the previous episodes that when I am reading for too long, my brain starts to really, really struggle, and 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 it's and it kind of feels like when you're walking along. If you're walking along normal and there's nothing tying you back, you f- you feel fine. But as soon as you just say you had a weight that was that was pulling back on you, and and every step that you take is is like a struggle. That's kind of what it feels like when my brain is trying to read when it's starting to get tired. Okay, back we go. In the first speech pathology session, we set my goals. They were to improve inferential reading comprehension, improve speech intelligibility, and work on strategies to aid organization. Inferential reading comprehension. What did that even mean? And intelligibility. Who knows? All I knew was that my goal was to return to life. To make this possible, the first strategy I was taught was to use my diary, use a diary. This was to help compensate for my lack of organisation ability. My therapist came prepared with a diary for me to start writing in from day one, and it became such a habit for me that I was always that I always had my diary with me. The first first thing I was asked before every session was, "Where is your diary?" This became in, this became ingrained in my mind to the point that I felt lost without it and I still do to this day. This is just one of the tools that I use in my life to compensate for the, for my inability to think on my own. From a neuropsychology assessment done earlier, rehab was able to determine that I had a pretty good visu- visual memory. I was much better at completing tasks in the correct way when they were presented in a visual manner rather than an auditory one. We're on page 44. Knowing this, the therapists were able to tailor mental stimulation in therapy around this. They taught me about vis- visual mapping to assist, the problem, pr- assist in problem solving and in understanding information that I needed to process. Speech pathology was focused on my thinking skills and how I was putting two and two together to make four. It was during my speech pathology sessions that my impairments became obvious. The effects of the brain injury were so apparent in these sessions that I really felt like a grown-up toddler. I had understood simple maths since the age of five, and now it seemed that two and two would equal six, or eight, or three, or four. Yes, that's it. Four is the number. Knowing that I loved doing Sudoku with my dad, most sessions would start off with a puzzle of some kind. Whether it was a word, fi- a word find, Sudoku, or whichever puzzle was on hand. Speech, speech pathology was training me to be more attentive to the finer details of life, as this is a major battle for ABI patients. Where a healthy brain would skim over the details and make, make a judgment subconsciously on whether or not the brain needs to take note of that information, an injured brain makes this process very difficult. 
as there are as there is no subconscious judgment made. If a healthy brain were doing a word find, for example, they would skim over the, le- the over the letters and make the unconscious judgment whether or not the letter is useful in the word that they are looking for. This was the challenge for me and this was the level I was aiming to get back to. It took me about a year before I finally completed a Sudoku without making a mistake. And even today, I cannot complete them without with a guaranteed success rate. To really make the brain stronger, I need to do much more than just work on games to train my brain. Much more than work with games to train my brain. I need to exercise, eat a healthy diet, get good sleep and do all the other all the other things that we know are good for us but we don't necessarily have the time to implement into our routine. Speech pathology consisted of lots of cognition exercises and they all helped. As I was back at square one, as far as my basic skills were concerned, I also had to learn to talk again. One of my first vague memories after my accident was using hand signals to convey the thoughts in my head. We're on page 45. The early days of my new life consisted of yes or no questions, which either got, got an enthusiastic thumbs up or a, disappointing, a disappointed thumbs down in response. It took about a week for my esophagus to gain the strength to tell people, ah, don't worry guys, it's not as bad as it looks, I'll be fine. And when I was being fed, if that aeroplane comes at my face one more time, I will hit it out of your hands and straight into your face. My speech is still getting better. I can't hear it improve and I don't notice it, but others certainly do. If someone hasn't seen me for a long time, they will usually comment on the improvements in my speech. This was the first fundamental skill that I had relearned as a 23-year-old, how to talk. When we are born, we come we come out gasping for our first breath in the sound of a cry. And if we're not crying, something's wrong. After the accident, I wasn't making a sound. No cry, no laugh, not even a funny gag to get the crowd going. The reason for me not talking wasn't because I didn't know the words. It was because my esophagus was not strong enough to produce the desired sound my injured brain was thinking of. This was due to the tube that had helped me breathe while I was sedated, known as an endotracheal tube. (laughs) Okay, that's uh, that's a medical term that I've never heard of, but I wrote this book, so I guess I'm going to have to Google how to say it. Okay, I'm back now. It's called an endotracheal tube. That's how you pronounce it. Endotracheal. So, known as an endotracheal tube, it was passed down the corridor between the lungs and was attached to a mechanical ventilation. It was passed straight through my vocal cords, which was the sole reason I could not make a sound. My vocal cords were damaged and I would need to build their strength. The removal of this tube is called an extubation and is generally performed by a nurse or a qualified professional. Extubation was another word that I had to Google. Well... At one point, I thought, well, at one point, I thought, well, at one point, I thought I was up to the challenge. So I attempted to do my own extubation. This was when I was still, I was still sedated. So as you can imagine, this didn't go down too well with the nursing staff, particularly as I had, as I was half asleep when I did it. To be honest, even if I was wide awake, even if I were wide awake, there's nothing in my resume that gave me permission to do this. But being a typical bloke, I had a go. 
You win some, you lose some. And I guess I lost this one at first. They put the tube back in and I took it back out. They put it back in again and I took it back out. And in the end, they didn't bother replacing it. I clearly won that battle. Boom. This may have been the first sign of my go get em resilient nature. We are on page 46. Speech pathology wasn't just about th- about the things that came out of my mouth, but also about also the things that went in. Once the breathing tube had been removed by professionals, I was left with dysphagia. Dysphagia is a swallowing disorder caused by the damage by damage to the to the throat. In my case, it was from the tube that was keeping me alive. A bit ironic, don't you think? While I was in a coma state, or what I call in the land of unconsciousness, I was being fed nutrients through a tube to help me survive. When I finally made it to the conscious land where everyone, with everyone else, I had, I had to learn to eat on my own, just like a baby. I began my journey on puree food. This was because I experienced a gag reflex from the dysphagia due to the, weak, the weakened muscles in my throat. I found it very difficult to swallow. Because of this gag reflex, I could only drink what was called thickened fluids. The liquid had a gelatin additive and at the time it was like heaven in a cup to me. Apparently I got excited every time a strawberry milkshake came my way, which I mentioned in one of the earlier chapters. Um, I guess it was like a a strawberry thick shake, which sounds okay. And it is, but now thinking of thickened water to quench your thirst, and eh, not so much fun. I don't really understand the biology, the biology of this. All I know is that it meant that I didn't choke to death. I was on puree food and thickened fluids until I had the strength to upgrade. The next step was called minced diet. Was called a minced diet with slightly less thickened fluids. The way I would describe the texture of the puree diet. Is like putting your meal in a food processor, taking it out, giving it a stir, and then putting it in for re- for round two. A minced diet is like putting your meal in a fi- in a food processor without the second round. This is the difference between drinking your lasagna through a straw and eating it with a spoon. The only reason I was able to handle this for such a long time was because I had an injured brain that couldn't tell the difference. This had me oblivious to the world. After a minced diet, I was done. I was able to indulge in the foods I was put on this planet to eat. Hamburgers, fried chicken and chips. Well, not really. I could eat them if I was interested, but I tried to stay away from the artery-clogging garbage as much as I could because, as as you know by now, I was starting to pack on a few kilograms. We are up to page 47. The end of this diet also meant that my fluids were not thickened, so now I had to fend for myself when drinking liquid with a very thin consistency. To this day, I still choke on my drinks if I am not careful and I don't think to take my time. Sometimes I forget I had an accident, and then I remember. Oh yeah, Scott, you can't do that anymore, pal. In the first 18 months of an injured brain, it is common to see a steep incline in health, but after, after that it will slowly taper off. If I am able to keep my injured brain healthy over my lifetime, I will see it getting better and better until the day I pass, but it will never reach the full capacity it once had. Knowing this will not deter me in any way from achieving 
any of my goals. That is thanks to all the compensation techniques I have been taught over the years. I may have a severe, I may have severe brain damage, as classified by the professionals. But what does this even mean? Apart from my physical disabilities, I will always have. I believe that there is nothing in the world I am incapable incapable of doing if I truly put my mind to it. True or not doesn't doesn't matter to me. This unstoppable attitude is to every situation has taken me a very long way towards achieving my goals and is the reason I am where I am today. This is the mindset I thrive on. Things just take me a little longer, a little bit longer, and take a little bit more miraculous planning to achieve, but I get there in the end. And that is the end of chapter four. We are up to page 50, and we are reading chapter five next week. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop there. And to wrap it up, I'm just going to read a paragraph, uh, like I said that I would at the start, um, with no editing in it, so that you can really see how my reading skills are evolving as this podcast goes on and on and on. Okay, so this is the first chapter of uh, the first paragraph paragraph of the next chapter. Once the daily hour of speech of speech therapy, once the daily hour of speech therapy was finished, it was off to it was off to occupational therapy. OT was all help. OT was all about helping me reconnect with general life skills such as following a recipe, reading a train timetable, and doing activities I liked. This was about making my injured brain aware of how it used to function, and try and trying to recreate those thought patterns to participate in all. To participate in all of life's fundamental requirements for self-satisfaction. Now, that wasn't too bad. It wasn't, wasn't really that good either. But with a lot of editing, uh, good editing skills, I can make that, uh, make that uh, paragraph sound pretty, pretty darn good. Uh, this week, I can see that I was struggling because it's taken me several hours to read just 10 pages. Now there could be a number. Of, this could be for a number of reasons. It could be from from the lack of sleep. Uh, it could be my nutrition. It could be my hydration. All those sort of things, etc. Uh, it it will be interesting to keep tabs on what's helping and what's hindering my brain power as we go along. So we'll just have to see, have to see how we go. Well, watch this space. Until next week, you take care of yourself and don't do anything I wouldn't do. See ya. So that's it for today. If you liked what you heard, hit the subscribe button so you do not miss an episode. Better still, hit the subscribe button and leave a review. See you in the next episode.